0: You're listening to the Gov Future Podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we feature a panel discussion from the July 2023 Gov Future Forum, D.C. We hear how AI, quantum, and beyond are changing cybersecurity with Jerry Karen, CIO, International Trade Administration, Department of Commerce, James Palumbo, Naval Facilities Engineering Systems Command, Washington. Asher Kotz, Manager, International Business Investment, Fairfax County Economic Development Authority, and Martin Stanley, Strategic Technology Branch Chief, Office of Strategy, Policy and Plans, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Stay tuned.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Kathleen Walsh. I'm an Executive Director here at GovFuture, and I'm so excited to be moderating this panel today. I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves a little bit better than I'm introducing them, But we also, if you're not um, aware, we have a GovFuture podcast, and we have been fortunate enough to have three out of the four panelists on our podcast, so I encourage you to check that out. They just dig a little bit deeper into what they do at their agencies, and we talk more about cyber and AI and how it's impacting the public sector, but without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our panelists. So we have uh, Jim Palumbo and I'll let you get started. If sure, so you sure. can introduce yourself and share one fan, fun fact as
2: well. Sure. We'll do Jim Palumbo, the command information officer for Naval facilities, Washington. Uh, fun fact, uh, I played sports all my life. So it's, as a kid, the standard stuff. Uh, but once I figured out I wasn't going to be the shortstop for the Detroit Tigers, uh, ventured into other sports. So I uh, played rugby for a number of years. Injuries took me out of that. Ran marathons and a little bit beyond marathons. Injuries took me out of that. Uh, then I moved to uh, a little bit more bizarre um, Gaelic sports, so Gaelic football and hurling. Uh, just got too old for that. And, and now I'm into uh, distance bicycling the half century, now
3: working on the full century. Hi, good morning. Uh, Ashley Coach, County Economic Development. Uh, I'm part of the international team. So we have the uh, offices, uh, offices in several locations, like Israel, India, and Germany, UK and, and South Korea. I'm also covering the cybersecurity, which we see is a big economic driver to the region or to Fairfax County. A fun factor I used to be a farmers in uh, in the kibbutz in Israel, and now I follow uh, all the AI and the emerging technology and drones that are happening in agriculture. So that's that's my interest.
4: Good morning. My name is Gerald Karen. I am the Chief Information Officer for the International Trade Administration at the Department of Commerce. I've only been there since February, so I am fairly new there. Um prior to that, I was a couple of years at the Department of Health and Human Services, office of inspector general as their CIO, and 20 years at the Department of State. Um, fun fact, I am no fun. Uh, <laughs> No, um, I have a great love of Jeeps, and I'm actually going up to Pennsylvania Saturday uh, for the Old Breach Jeep Show up in Carlisle. Um, I try to go every year. Um, COVID, I missed a few years, of course. I didn't have it, but looking forward to that. And uh, there's some very unique, different
5: things that people do with Jeeps. If you're a Jeep person, you would understand. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sherry. Hi, uh, Martin Stanley. I am the Strategic Technology Branch Chief at CISA. I'm currently on assignment, though, to the Trustworthy AI Program at NIST, working on the AI Risk Management Framework and operationalizing that. So, uh, if if I sound like I'm working at NIST, I, I'm, I am, but I really still work for CISA. That's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, what's a fun fact? Um, uh, I do sim racing, and we're preparing for the 24-hour race spot this weekend. That's 24 hours.
1: Lots of fun facts. And actually, first question for you. So Great. we'll keep the mic with you. So how do emerging technologies like quantum computing and artificial intelligence, we keep talking about all this, but how does it impact the landscape of cybersecurity? And maybe what challenges do those emerging technologies pose for the government as a whole?
5: Sure. So, you know, in, in my real you know, job at CISA, uh, we look at these emerging technologies from three perspectives. One, how can it help us you know, execute our mission? And in many ways, there's a lot of opportunities there. We also look at it from a second perspective of how uh, those technologies are going to be adopted by our stakeholders and how we have to advise them and assist them in you know, securely and safely and, and all those other you know, you know, concerns that folks have. In adopting those technologies and then the third area is how does that change the threatscape you know how how do these emerging technologies enable uh, adversaries? And so that's probably the you know the, the the highest level most you know easy way to describe it. but I think you know what we're seeing now is there's a lot of you know hidden threats and hidden concerns that folks really aren't able to understand. And so making those things you know available and aware is is probably the biggest challenge that we have all through that. Um, you know, all through that scheme.
1: Yeah, great. Jerry, the next question is for you. So, I mean, you know, cybersecurity, I think, is something that everybody needs to deal with now, especially maybe the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I feel like it's really been brought to the forefront. So what specific measures is the government taking to stay ahead of cyber threats in this era of rapidly advancing technologies and also more sophisticated cyber threats now?
4: Yeah, I, I think, um, you saw uh, a while back the executive order on uh, the strength of the nation's cybersecurity. Uh, there's been the zero trust strategy, OMB 22-09 that came out. So that, and then there's been some other EOs that have recently come out as well around this. So there's definitely a push from the highest <laughs> level. And it's not just going down to the I, IT people. It's making it an agency priority. Um, which is which is very different. Usually it would be something that comes to from OMB and go to the IT guys, and the IT guys would thrash around with it and what to do. Um, uh, but now it's like making it a priority for the agency heads. Um and, and it's not just an IT thing, it's not just a technology issue. There's a culture change that has to come around um changing the way we do business. Um, but you know, I like to be inclusive and understand how my people how folks that I support want to work, so I can include those um in our journey. Uh, as we go through things like zero trust and and any other side of security efforts, but as far as the technology you mentioned, quantum scares the heck out of me in a way. Um, but um, because of the adversaries, as you said, will be using it, um, so you know we're, we we have to get in a point where I think you know it's it's a strategy. It's not just a checking the box I've complied with this kind of thing. It's we really need to be strategic, be more proactive. Um, and you know, the discussion about leveraging AI and machine learning, I think it's really gonna be a game changer as we apply it in our monitoring, rather than having the guy in the sock, and they're still gonna be very important, you know, your sock, but waiting for the red blinky light to flash, and then figuring out what it is, um, and then conferring with his buddy. Whereas AI and ML, as it learns over time of what these habits are and these threats are, and it can be a non-malicious person just making a mistake, don't get me wrong. But leveraging that kind of technology to make decisions and automate those types of things that need to happen from a policy perspective, if the threshold is breached, I think is going to be a big game changer as we mature.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you talk about people too, right? And you need these cultural changes, but that sometimes can be the hardest part, right? It's like the technology is one thing, but to get people to change is quite another thing. So how are you maybe educating the workforce to accept this technology and maybe get used to it and understand the real threats.
4: Yeah. So I include them early Um, at my last job. I wasn't doing anything and I probably wouldn't have been doing anything for a few months, but educate them. Hey, I'm doing this thing. Zero trust. What does that mean to you? Um, You know, kind of explain it and use a movie theater analogy to kind of get an understanding of it and everything. Use a lot of analogies, usually about food. So everybody's hungry after. Um, but The thing is, is I want to make them part of the team because, yes, I ask them, how do you want to work? What's working? What doesn't work? And then including those within the requirements as I change the way that they're going to work and the way that they want to work, it makes it much easier to adopt. So there's no questions. uh, Why are we doing this? Because, you know, what happens is if you do lockdowns and everything and then users, enough population of your users or your management doesn't like it, guess where your program it gets set back. Um, and then you're you're um having an uphill battle. So being inclusive very early, I think has been a very big benefit um and has helped uh grease the grease the um on-ramp pretty good. Yeah,
1: I like that you said that because I find that if you don't include the stakeholders in the conversations, you'll do things that maybe you take away the fun part of their job or you take away the things that they liked and then you have them do only the things they don't like and you wonder why they're not doing it. Well, maybe ask them. So those are all great points. Asher, you have a unique perspective because, you know, you work at a county level, but you're able to also see internationally as well. So you can bring maybe that holistic perspective here. Uh, what steps are being taken that you see to address potential vulnerabilities and risks associated with the integration of emerging technologies into some of these critical infrastructure systems and maybe ha- from different levels? How are you seeing it?
3: Yes, thank you for the question. So we work very close with the First County CISO team, <laughs> which uh, Mike Bent, you probably know him, is one of the leading uh, uh, thinker and practical of uh, on the county level, but also on the region level, on protecting and securing our way of life. So, I think our, our number one challenge is that we have a very distributed uh, environment uh, 400 sites of Belfast County, for example. If you had the schools, it's more. We have a huge, uh, we have about 1.1 uh, million people in the county, 180, or maybe even more than 200,000 students. So what the county has been doing every year, or maybe every two years to do a uh, strategic planning, what to do, especially when things are changed. For example, the pandemic, Remember, 2020, there was a big challenge to move to a mass education uh, platform, Blackboard, didn't work so well. So the, the issue was A, how to enable the, B, how to secure access to protect the uh, student data, you protect the school data, Talking about school, because this is one of the most important uh, topics we see. When we do international collaboration, we do uh, we focus on specific areas uh, in order to from economic development to attract new companies, new investments in technology. We did an event in March in the in Tizen, is uh, together with Israeli and American organizations that focus on uh, infrastructure, focus on securing the workforce, uh, we got a delegation, and we see interesting technology that, I will not say slowly, but actually entering the US market to, to benefit from other uh, uh, countries' uh, experience. And I think uh, in overall, uh, we see a great collaboration of international knowledge, investment and technology in Northern Virginia, I came from Silicon Valley, by the way, so over there it's happening a lot. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Israel in a conference called Cyber Week, which was like 13,000 people in the University of Tel Aviv. I think there was a delegation from 80 countries, including a big delegation from the U.S. Chamber. So we see a lot of mind share, a lot of technology sharing and policies that helping us to integrate uh, international uh, technology and policies. Jim, the next question's for
1: you. Uh, you know, DOD, Navy in particular, I think cyber security matters all over, but especially when we are, you know, uh, in the DOD. So with the increasing complexity of cyber threats, how is the federal government and maybe the Navy in particular leveraging AI and machine learning to enhance its ability to detect, prevent, and respond to cyber threats?
2: Sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I got to take you on a little bit of a journey, though, to get to the to the actually answer the question. So Uh, Before government civilian, I was uh, 24 years Air Force cyber officer, um, and I'm a Venn diagram person. So the first circle is IT. So 20-plus years ago, when I was running the network out at Edwards Air Force Base, it was um, checklist, compliance-focused. We used to call it five nines. Everything needed to be up 99.99% of the time. That was what went on your performance report. and um, So you you were kind of focused on that and had your blinders that way. Um, the second circle's mission, and, and one of the things about these panels when you're the last one to talk, it's kind of common themes that ends up by the time you speak. But the uh, second circle's mission, and, and again, out there at Edwards with the test mission, um, we had stuff on the unfunded list we were doing from the ComSport Communications Squadron, never getting approved, way down on the priority list. And we started looking at it and going, well, what's this support? Well, that supports the test mission over there. Throw it to the test wing, get them to advocate for it. Boom, got funded. So that mission circle overlapped a little bit with the IT circle, but it was a small circle at that point. Um, You're talking about locking down. So I'm now the IA guy in Iraq, 04, 05. This is uh, right about the time. We're we're understanding we're going to be there a while. Um, So now we've got to get kind of formal when it comes to securing the network and everything. I'm there less than 48 hours. I don't know what time it is. Um, And I'm a major 04. I get summoned to the Army 06 Colonel uh, on the on the ops floor, just chewing me out. You've you shut down operations on the ops floor. And it's like, okay. Come to find out, my IA team had a patch for three boot on the ops floor. And he's like, this has happened over and over again. I'm like, well, this will never happen again. So go and talk to my guys and go, hey, what are we doing? Well, we got to get the patch done. Yeah, it, you can coordinate when you get it done. Go over there, talk to the ops floor, understand what they're doing. It's never fully occupied. There's a portion of computers up there. Force reboot there, time it. Never got called the ops floor and got chewed out again. So now I've got that mission, that mission circle. I've got a better understanding of that and what it means from an IT perspective. And then the final piece, and this is where I really think the AI and ML um, comes in. Is um, uh, I was down at Centcom uh, 2014, so the kickoff ISIS. They're all over the internet and stuff. How do we counter that in some way, shape, or form? Not all the details they can go into, but um, uh, I, I described the intel piece that we we're dealing with in is a, a water spigot. So you're thirsty and you're just getting a drop, drop. So, I mean, you're not dying, but you're thirsty, you can really use it, but you're not getting enough. You get a sense, you get a hint of it. Then all of a sudden that spigot turns on, it's full bore, and you can't get a drink from it because it's coming out so fast. And then it's all over the place. You're able to get a little bit. That's the way I described Intel back then. It was, I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting enough of it. I'm getting too much of it. I can't handle it. So that's where I, I, I think and that circle is getting bigger and bigger as we go along. Open source, classified, doesn't matter. That Intel piece is just going to keep getting bigger. So using military terminology, especially Air Force guy, Boodle Loop, Observe orient, Side Acts, Plan Do, Check Act. You can call a lot of different things. But that observe and orient piece is where I really see AI and ML coming in is understanding what we're doing, what we need to do from an IT piece, what the mission priorities are. Okay, take that volume of intel that's out there and make it relevant to what we're trying to do from a mission piece and what we need to do from an IT piece in order to support the mission. And then um, predominantly the human side of that will be the decide and act. But as you learn, you can turn more of that, like you talked about that automating, that deciding act, turn it over if you're comfortable with it, turn it over to the AI ML piece. And those critical strategic aspects of it are still there, having that human key decision maker involved in it. So that, that's where I see it playing out.
1: Great. One thing that we talk about a lot when it comes to AI is this idea of trustworthy AI, responsible AI. Um, and it's important. And I feel like these conversations are continuing to happen. So Martin, it's great. This question is really, uh, I think, something that maybe you can answer first. Uh, we don't always talk about that with cyber. If we're bringing in these different technologies, we need to make sure that some of these conversations are coming into play. So how is the federal government ensuring the responsible and ethical use of AI and maybe some of these other emerging technologies in the context of cybersecurity, especially with you know issues around data, Privacy,
5: algorithmic bias. Okay, so this is a great topic. It's actually the focus of my work right now. Um, so there's actually been a lot of work, uh, and it goes back a number of years, starting with the EO on trustworthy AI in, in government. Um, and that's where we've got the AI risk management framework and uh, all the associated documents that you can find um, on, on the NIST, uh, NIST site. It's fantastic, uh, the stuff that's there. I think one of the big challenges now is connecting all of that sort of like AI payload um, focused risk management back into the enterprise um, overall risk management piece, which I know, Jerry, you're in the middle of and trying to figure out how to, how to do that. You've got all these underlying cybersecurity controls. You've got all the stuff that you're doing to protect your data. And what is all that you know, what does all that mean? And I think one of the really interesting areas um, to explore at this point is the zero trust methodology is, you know, something that we're promoting. Um, I think that there's actually some requirements to adopt it, and, and we've got some guidance out from CISA on um, a maturity model. I think looking at how you apply those principles uh, in into your AI payloads is really interesting, because we talked about, you know, what's going on with the data, right? You know, one of the things that you know, we probably need to start thinking about is what do we do with the outputs, right? We've all played around with chat GPT, you know, we don't, necessarily trust it that's kind of like a zero trust sort of principle when you really think about it um so you know those are the kinds of things i think we're, we're going to have to mature around um you know i think there's a lot of you know concerns around specifically the generative ai um there's certainly a lot of reasons to be you know um concerned about the risks and to and to know what those risks are but i don't think Telling people they can't use it is like a realistic approach, either. So you know we've got to figure that out, and there's you know that's kind of um, going going back and forth. So all that to say to kind of bring it all home, I think the real interesting piece, and we didn't hear any of the earlier um, you know uh, speakers talk about this, but um, you know it's it's interesting to me what the position of the folks that understand the mission, you know, to your point is in in all of uh, in all of these deployments talk about automating to improve the lives of the the workers and and hopefully the output um, that they're able to perform, but maybe their jobs need to change to be more of like a supervisor of what's happening um, within within the, the automation and how they go about doing that. They're the ones that are gonna know qualitatively whether or not the mission is getting met. They're gonna know whether or not qualitatively, maybe not quantitatively because it's very hard to apply measures you know, to some of the, the um some of the processing i for lack of a better word that goes on but giving um those folks uh some training and some guidance on what their role should be in determining how well the machine is functioning i think that's a great opportunity you know both for both both for industry and, and public partnerships perfect
1: does anybody else have comments on that
3: question asher it was perfect <laughs> <laughs> I was I was listening in- the discussion. I think my big concern is that the federal versus the state structure in the US, CIS are doing a good job. But how do you, let's say, take the state of Maryland or the state of Virginia and say, do you have a state level visibility control center that show you what's happening with the power station in Baltimore, in this area, with water station? We don't have it in the US. Everything is Israel, like, because this is a small country. Uh, is the ability to, in emergency situation and non-emergency situation, to have a view of all those critical systems in a one, one kind of a center. And one of the concerns I have that our network already infected, power station, water authority station, transportation center, and in a emergency situation or even in a conflict, the command will be sent and now, what are we doing? I mean, I know we have a great uh, CISA uh, standard in uh, follow up, but that's my main concern. i to hear
6: more. <laughs> <laughs> Back to you.
5: Wow. Okay. So, uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't necessarily work on the critical infrastructure side, but we, ha- we interface with the 16 critical infrastructure sectors. We, um, uh, under FEMA, we support um, and, and execute. Emergency support function fourteen, which is cross-sector coordination uh, for supply chain when there's all-hazards events. I'm sure this gentleman from Verizon has a, a lot of you know thoughts on on this on this topic. But in, I think the major difference between the U.S. and Israel again, I'm not a, a, a an expert on this is, and even probably Europe to to a large degree, is it's very decentralized and there's not necessarily a clear authority um, you know for various. Um, well, it's spread across, I guess is what I'm trying to say, multiple agencies. So there are certain agencies that are responsible for compliance. There are certain agencies that, re- that are responsible for assistance and standards and, and the like. And, and so I think that coordination is um, is challenging. Um, and I think also the, the funding of that is, is challenging, too, because you can't necessarily like reach in and, and fix particular problems based on some statutes for you know offering funding to state and local folks.
1: All right, well, I'm now going to open it up if anybody
3: has any questions.
2: So with the speed of technology today, right, um, you guys must be getting inundated with different tools and technologies to solve problems. How do you manage that at your organizations? Do you have innovation labs? Like how, How do you get through all that Right, to understand exactly, yeah, these are the value-added products that we can actually focus on. So I can, I can see you know our the <laughs> <laughs> You want to
5: talk about the AI fairy dust? The, the yeah, fairy yeah. dust, yeah, I've heard that before. Fairy dust. It's
6: sprinkling
5: a that, that, that. was a little cool AI fairy dust, is sprinkled on the products. I All right, I oh, it,
6: yes.
4: I, yes. <laughs> I forgot it though, actually. Um, you can talk about bologna sandwiches tootsie roll. Yes, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, well, I used to say that we did security and it took like a tootsie roll pop, art, Shell I'll self do there. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I mean, I, I, I chair we're a zero trust working group for a nonprofit. We got about 70 vendors and we went through a phase one. And that phase one was everybody, every one of those vendors had 75 minutes to showcase their thing. They were the greatest things since sliced bread to do zero trust, blah blah blah. Uh, not that they're they were some very good products. But my problem was, and this is what we're doing with phase two, that's great. But the reality is I have the 70 functional capabilities. If you look at the DOD strategy, we kind of use that and it's early and we we edited it some, you know, all these functional <laughs> capabilities that I need to be able to do, data loss prevention, micro segmentation analytics, orchestration, and there's about 70 of these things. And, you know, we use the the DHS maturity model, and I kind of rate myself, my as is. Uh, but if I went out and bought the best thing for each one of those 70 functional capabilities, first, I'm, I can't afford it. I, I struggle with budget already. Uh, but I can't sustain it. I can't manage it. And the thing is, I have to be able to integrate. I can't have standalone centers of excellence. And I need to understand what, as a CIO, I need to have visibility. What is my operational risk policy uh, posture at any given time? And then I want to be able to dynamically automate that in as real time as possible to do things. That's an integration. I need telemetry from, you know, how did they authenticate? Are they coming from a network that I can see? Is it a GFE that I have full visibility or BYOD? There's so many different levels of risk. But all these tools that I already have are creating a lot of data. It's bringing that data together, making sense of it, putting a methodology over that. What are my risk thresholds? What can I tolerate based off these factors? And then taking an action. So running through use cases. So we have about 13 scenarios. So we got about probably 10 integrators now that are partnered with the various vendors. And we are asking them to run through these 13 scenarios in real time, not give us a video, not give us a slide presentation. We want to see it. And and there are 13 scenarios that are applicable to all the federal government agencies and would allow us by being able to show those the art of the possible. They may not be at the, the maturity level five, or so to speak, but as long as they can display at some maturity level and I can see the growth and the scalability of what they're demoing, and show that in inter- that how it's integrated and works as a complete architecture that's what we're asking for and so like when a vendor calls me you have a homework assignment what functional capabilities do you cover before i'll talk to you and then you know i'll know because i'm doing my as is now i'm at a new agency so i'm having them go and do a self-assessment if i did not spend another penny where are my gaps what can i do what am i doing where do i need to do things um so but um So the the working group has been great. Um, I do interact with a lot of vendors because something will catch my eye. Like some of the things that you were talking about with what you were doing caught my eye. I'm interested. Now, honestly, I made it for pipe, right? But you know what,
3: I gotta keep up.
4: I gotta understand where is things going? Where are the trends going? So I can understand what I need to be looking at next. So uh, I do a lot of interaction. Um, doing the working groups has been great. Um, they, like that helps a great deal. Um, you know, there's you'll see one vendor in this space, you'll see another vendor in about the same space, but they do it totally different. But what's the outcome? You know, so understanding what the outcome you want is very important when having those discussions. But I mean, sorry, I ran. Uh, so, kind of two
2: parts to the answer. Um, first, from kind of following that and and how I filter through it. And yeah, I'm a visual person. So it's an Eisenhower diagram of the one axis. You can have the greatest capability in the world all the way at the top, but the other axis is my budget and authority restrictions. Um, And if you don't understand that and can't tie into the mission piece and all of that, then yeah, we're not going to have a conversation. So um, have we leaned into some solutions that were lower on the capability side of the house, uh, absolutely, um, because we could get to them, um, or we could convince a mission owner to uh, put some resources towards it in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, the other piece is, I free up my team to experiment, get at it, um, legal, moral, and ethical. Um, the way I've described it to them is run around the pool with scissors. Get, get at it, and, and, and if, it, if, it do, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, As long as I'm doesn't cost anything, you know. Learn from it and get at the next thing. Don't
6: get hurt. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs>
2: they're they IT guys with a computer or something. You know, I mean, but yeah, take chances figuratively, you know. And and if somebody wants to come in and give them hard time, I'll, I'll have the top cover. Hey, you know, some things are going to work, some things aren't. But we're we're seeing. Um, discovering things that I would have never thought of, just given given my team, the team freedom, and other folks outside the CIO and the lawyer that's just interested in the stuff, give them the ability to be able to test stuff out and see what happens.
4: That's a a really good point. You talked about, you know, I was in that camp of 99.9999% uptime for my network and everything. But you know, technology is changing so fast. We're we're trying to innovate with tech cutting edge things now. Fail fast, learn from it, pick up, move on. Um I, I'm I'm in that camp. Um there's been, you know, the old camp where it's like if the network goes down for five minutes. Oh, holy heck, it's gonna come raining down on you. But you're doing IT and IT's hard. IT is not easy. Um, and some of this is new. Some of this we're doing for the first time. We're trying to apply different concepts and different ideas to help the mission. Um, but fail fast, learn from it. You know, you know, we do have R&D spots, you know, um, sandboxes and stuff to play around with. But, you know, sometimes the sandbox isn't the same as uh, the production environment. So, um, but, you know, you learn as much as you can. But even when you get to production, fail fast, learn from it, understand it, and uh, move on. So, it's going to build on that last piece I said is in this day and age, you
2: know, the, the IT technology smart people aren't limited to the CIO. You know, so leverage, encourage, leverage, empower, enable whatever term you want to come as many people as you can, and you'll be amazed um, what they'll discover.
4: CIOs.
2: <laughs> just be humble or be humbled. That's another. I know that. I do like that last point, though. You can
1: learned so much when you just kind of you know open up and, and broaden with who you let share things. Does anybody else have any questions?
6: All right. Uh, so we had some um presentations okay. oh, Sounds yeah. funny to oh presentations yeah. this point where um
3: I see one of the your adoption in federal government is the significant um, apparatus overhead around implementations, implementations of RNF. So my question is, do we think that with zero trust, we might be able to simultaneously increase the security of our systems while also reducing the infrastructure that goes around implementation of RNF?
5: so which rmf are we talking about the ai rmf are we talking about the cyber security rmf or like- so um uh, risk management
2: has
6: limitations and it's just a framework has
5: right a framework. right and so i, I think generally because i touched on this uh, in my you know, previous comment that you've got an enterprise risk management i think brings in all these other stakeholders that are not just you know the cio shop but a lot of times the CIO is coordinating that, you know, amongst all the various stakeholders. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge is really identifying who all those other stakeholders are. Um, that's part of actually the AI risk management framework is going through and understanding who all the various um you know potential, they're called AI actors in, in the framework, but you know, how they could potentially be impacted. And they're not always just people within your organization. They're your you know, your your mission stakeholders. You know, for example, and I think that's um, some new material for today. You know, because I was coming out here, I we on there, figuring out some new stuff. So, uh, I used to work at the Food Administration for four years, ran the cybersecurity program there, and it's interesting because we're looking at technology now, and everyone's like, "Man, I don't know what do we do." And it's like, "Well," and I'm certainly not a regulator, and I'm certainly not speaking for the FDA or for you know the government in that in that matter. But we do actually know how to deal with the safety and you know efficacy concerns because we actually have done that for almost what 70 80 years at the fda right we just don't do it with it there was just an announcement i think two days ago about the ot like labeling standard right fda has a whole we've each of their you know each of their centers has you know organizations devoted to labeling of of the regulated products, so we're starting to see you know, that kind of thing. If somebody's hurt using one of the products that are regulated, right, and not just FDA, but you know, our transportation others, you have to file an adverse event report, right? So there's a lot of things I think that we can do that we already know how to do um, to help to you know assuage some of the concerns that that you know folks are starting to see. So we'll you know as as the regulatory apparatus evolves, we'll see how much of that uh, occurs. But I think, again, it's back to people. Like, how how do you involve the right folks in the decisions about uh, accepting risk? Because there's no way to completely avoid risk except that if you don't use these technologies, and that's just not going to happen. In, in my mind, if you say we're not going to, we're going to ban a particular technology, which I know some people are talking about, um, then Folks are going to use it anyways. So you're still, you're just ignoring the risk at that point. You're not, you're not like mitigating it in any way, shape, or form. Hopefully that answered your question.
1: All right. Anybody else have comments for that? All right. We have one more question. This should be quick as well. Hello, everyone. You're from Hitachi. Thank you for
4: sharing your insights and experiences. Um, My question is uh, the title says Quantum AI and Beyond. So, for each of you, what is beyond? (laughs)
6: Tired. (laughs) (laughs) What's
3: beyond? (laughs) Anywhere you see things. Maybe I can start on the Northern Virginia economic development. We uh, know there's a race now to position different regions on quantum computing. Boston area, New York, we in Northern Virginia, and the DC area, actually. Last year was the first quantum world congress, I think that was the right name. We connected to universities, we put together an event uh, in an effort to track investment, mind share, students and universities to, uh, to land or to expand in Northern Virginia and the region. We're gonna do another event, September 27, 28 about that because we see it as um, beyond what we have now. And by the way, we talk about scanning what's new, right? So we in the economic development at the similar model. We are looking what's new in technologies and social trend in order to focus on the next sector that we want to attract, from satellite to emerging technology to cyber, you know, all Virginia, the number one region in the U.S., and maybe the world in data set and the cloud. So we also scan all the time as opportunities, not as a risk, for economic development to focus on new sector that emerge, such as quantum computing. But that was economic development perspective.
2: I think I'm building off of this a little bit. This is can we talk about, you know, China as threat, right, adversary, whatever adjective you want to throw out there. Um, I'm optimistic based off of when they have get-togethers like this, it's because they're told to get together. And um there's probably some personal risk averseness going on there. And you know, I'm not leaning out, you know we get together now, government, DOD, academia, uh industry, and and so that's where I think, you know, exactly what the beyond is, don't know, but I'm confident we're gonna get to the beyond, or I'm optimistic, we're gonna get to the beyond before somebody like China is because because of that. When you look at um what General Noxazoni's done at, at Cybercom and NSA in, in regards to, I mean, you go back, you talk about people shutting stuff down, you know, you can't share anything, and, and now, you know, doors aren't wide open, but they've set up a room off to the side, said, come on in, look at this, look at that. That collaboration has been key, and I think it's jump-started a lot of, a lot of uh, these discussions and opened up the aperture in regards to um, what's within the realm of the possible. So, that's how I think we're going to get to the beyond is based off the fact that we're collectively um, getting together, thinking through it and seeing what's within the realm of the positive. All
1: right. Do you guys want to comment
2: or no? Okay. The
6: only thing I'll add on the beyond is that um, I think coming up in our August event on the panel, uh, there was a recent act passed uh, by Congress, the CHIPS Act, And it actually has an acronym, but apparently it doesn't, it's not that meaningful. It's just the Chips Act, which is actually an effort to bring back uh, manufacturing of chips. Although they make a distinguishing between chips and semiconductors, I'm not sure why they differentiate, but whatever, it's manufacturing here in the US. And as much as that may seem like kind of old tech, there's a lot of new tech because, or new stuff that has to happen. We've lost a lot of our manufacturing capability for that. So I would actually interestingly say that there's an interesting opportunity for folks who are, who are looking at semiconductor manufacturing to reinvest that the U.S. is a, a significantly reinvesting in that space, mainly to reduce our dependence on semiconductor manufacturing from overseas. I don't know if any to talk to that, but I know that that'll be coming up in uh, August.
1: Yeah. And we have a podcast about that as well. Okay,
6: sure.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank the panel. They have been wonderful, and we will have yes. So we'll start with Martin, and we'll work our way down. Any
6: final words?
5: Oh well, well, thanks. I, well, I mean, I guess you know to answer the question about what's next. Um I think you know what what is. The place of people, you know, and all and, and, and all this technology, because now we're really trying to understand understand that, and certainly with virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, metaverse, all that kind of thing. Um, I think there's a lot of questions for folks to you know, understand. Certainly, I talked about like my sim racing thing, which I really love, and it's great. It's international race teams, dude from Turkey that I'm talking to, like while we're while it's fantastic. Like so, what does that mean, right, for for society, for for people, and how do they interact, um, you know, going forward um, with these technologies, and how is that integrated into people's lives, and you know, with respect to all the risks and the concerns that we have? I mean, I think that's next, right? Yeah, I
4: was thinking about your question about the beyond. Just watch the movie Wally, you know, kind um, of. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm excited about. Things, um, you know, people are our most valuable resource in our organizations and to have them do mundane, trivial things, you know, I, you know, use an AI, like some of the demos we saw today. Awesome. Right. Um, but we got to approach it smartly. Like I'm actually tomorrow, I'm actually having an offsite with the business units that I support and Mike Darryl, um to talk about AI. And we're going to talk about the good, bad, the ugly. Yes. It's great, and you know they may use Chat GPT, and you know the wonderful things that they do with it. But you know it's a grain of salt. Still, the internet—you don't trust everything on the internet. I hope so. Uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But you know, infrastructure costs. You know the storage. If I want AI to get smarter, I gotta make sure I have to have storage security. There's certain things I may have in draft. I don't want AI to be able to reach and produce that. You know, so there's things that we have to think about that everybody sees the front end, but there's there's a lot of the, the Wizard of Oz stuff that has to happen, too, I think, to make some of this thing a reality that we have to pay attention to. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the discussion, but I'm bringing my customers, so to speak, the people that I support, the mission, to have that discussion. It's like, what is what is the realm of the possible, the art of the possible? What's a little hanging fruit? maybe, you know, get some wins and show some scalability, but let's approach this in a logical way at the same time. Um, and maybe I'll just ask AI how she will approach this. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so there, there's some cautionary things too. It's, we talk about the pretty stuff all the time, but we gotta be aware of the what we're getting into. I'll just say one, uh
3: that's what we have, uh, return to the office. It's a big uh, challenge for companies, for property owners, for economic development, for localities, and this challenge, now come AI that might put uh, some people out of work, especially customer service, or if you're selling new uh, product, that's a concern for us. Uh, How are we gonna bring back the people to the office, you know, and the benefits, the small businesses around them in order to uh, convince more people to join companies and come to the office, AI might be a problem. That's one thinking that we are thinking.
2: I uh, get out and talk to the, the stakeholders and spend a lot of time, be a part of their working groups, non IT work through, be seen as a value add, and then. Um take it back from an IT cybersecurity innovation perspective
1: and then run around the pool with scissors. All right. Well, thank you everybody. Big round of applause for an incredible panel. We've got great resources. If you're looking to get more insights and details on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well, check out our resources, books, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, tailored for our GovFuture listeners. Again, that's govfuture.com slash resources, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well.
0: To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators, Go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.